Today is a special day here on the podcast because as you notice, sitting to my left is not Dr. Marshall. Uh, today I have a guest co-host, uh, Jennifer Garcia. She is a graduate student at Florida State University in art education and uh, she's been doing some work with us here in the office and she has uh, volunteered to sit in um, in uh, Dr. Marshall's place because he's been out for the week, he's been out of, out of the office and wasn't able to make it in uh, to do the podcast this week, so Jennifer's filling in. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Uh, so you, you are a, a graduate student at Florida State in art education, um, mm -hmm. taking a lot of tough classes. Yeah. yeah. Last semester I got to do uh, four podcasts for, um, for assignments and I loved it. Yeah. So uh, this was a perfect fit. Perfect. Perfect. So we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a different format today on the podcast. Um, instead of talking about a, a general topic where we uh, kind of go through articles and stuff like that, what we thought would be a really interesting idea is to talk about what uh, what a person needs to consider when looking for uh, a therapist or looking into um, mental health therapy. But like the other podcasts, there are two articles yes. that will be posted in the show notes. Absolutely. One from Psychology Today and one from Annie Wright, Psychotherapy. Yeah. She is, uh, they, they both talk about some uh, things to consider when looking into mental health treatment. Yeah. So, so the way that we're going to format it, uh, it's going to sort of be a, a, an interview-like mm -hmm. um, of sorts. So Jennifer will be interviewing me, and uh, we'll, we'll, again, talk about some of these different things and go about it that way. Because Dr. Bernie wears a lot of hats. He's not just a podcaster. Yeah. He's also a professor. Yes. And a psychologist, so he sees patients regularly. Yes. And so you know him from telling you about other people's work, so this is a chance for you to get to know his work. Well, great. Well, this is going to be fun, I think. Yeah, so. I think so too. So, well, great. Right. Well, we can wherever you'd like to start. Okay. So, when people are looking for treatment, when mm -hmm. they've gotten to the point where, you know, maybe their stress level is too high, or um, they've been sad for a little longer than they expected to be. Um, is there a difference between a therapist, a clinician, a counselor, a psychologist? What, what's the difference between those? Well, th th it is a good question because it's often, a lot of those words are often used synonymously. Mm -hmm. um, a clinician just refers to anyone who, who works in a clinic who sees, who sees patients, and so that's a pretty, that's probably the most general of, of all the terms. Um, uh, the, probably the next most general would be therapist or counselor, and that's just a person who, who offers uh, therapeutic services. Um, but a, a therapist could be a, a physical therapist or an occupational therapist, and so again, it's pretty, uh, pretty general. Um, but when it comes to counselors uh, versus psychologists, the, the difference tends to be, if we're going to be real specific, uh, counselors often have uh, master's level degrees or they are at least, in the very least, licensed under uh, a different state statute than psychologists. Psychologists require uh, PhDs or, or doctorates, um, it could be a PhD or a PsyD um, in psychology to be able to um, be eligible for a uh, license in psychology. Uh, but a counselor can have a PhD or a master's uh, degree in 
mental health counseling or rehabilitation counseling or something of that sort. And they are often, here in the state of Florida at least, licensed as a licensed mental health counselor or marriage and family therapist or something of that sort. And that's the letters that you see after yes. someone's name. Yes, LMHC, licensed mental health counselor. Um, yeah, but you know, um, as a psychologist, I still do therapy, and so I will say that um, you know I offer therapeutic services. Um, I don't necessarily say that I offer psychological services, um, though I would say that at times, I suppose. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, how does someone determine? which type of professional? That, that too is, is, a, is a good question because I, I think that we tend to um, restrict ourselves sometimes and think, oh, well, I need to see um, you know, a psychologist or I need to see this person or that person. The, the, the best way to go about it, I think, is to look at really more specifically what your needs are. So you, you mentioned a couple of examples like stress, if a person is becoming really stressed or a person is somewhat depressed or something like that. You would want to look for a, a therapist or a counselor or psychologist who specializes in people your age. So if you're an adult or a teen or a child, someone your age that may have experience working with that particular um, challenge or trouble or, or issue. Um, take for example marriage counseling. If a person is in need of, if a couple is in need of marriage counseling, you know, they would want to first, you know, sort of on their search, sort of narrow things down to marriage counselors. And, um, you know, you might recognize that you need marriage counseling because you're having a difficult time relating with your spouse or you guys are unable to communicate in effective ways. And so you want to get in touch with a marriage counselor or marriage therapist more specifically, so that you can um, know that the person you're seeing is specialized in that area. Okay. Yeah. So should uh, should gender or um, race matter when you're like looking for a counselor? Um, it, it depends, I suppose. There there are times when uh, when the patient, him or herself, has a particular. Um, preference. And, and in that case, certainly you, you want to consider that. Um, I, I have, I mean, I see probably just as many male patients as I do female patients, um, adult male and female, um, adult females. And, and so I don't know that there's anything in particular related to the therapist or the psychologist that, that would relate to um, that. But again, related to whatever the, the, you as an individual are comfortable with. Um, would be probably the most important uh, thing to consider. Um, it, it may be a little bit more difficult to find, in, in some areas at least, to find a, a male therapist or a female therapist or a, um, a, a therapist with any particular um, a, a particular minority or gender orientation or any of those kinds of things. It may be a little bit difficult in some regions to find someone who um, represents that, but um, again, it's more what the individual is comfortable with. Okay. Uh, as, a, as providers, therapists and counselors, we are sort of missioned um, and, and trained very early on to make sure that we only take on patients that, that we are comfortable seeing. And so if a person, if for example a, a therapist has some challenges or some issues related to say gender orientation or something like that, that therapist is sort of um, uh, 
strongly encouraged not to take on patients with those kinds of challenges because you know they would sort of be biased from the beginning and so they're encouraged to, to avoid those kinds of situations. So I if you have some of those particular um, interests or some of those particular issues that you're trying to focus on, uh, it may be important to ask about that when you first call just to make sure that your ther the therapist you're looking at is, is um, accepting and okay working with people um, who have those struggles. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I know that when you're looking for a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist online, um, a lot of times there will be little notes mm -hmm. that say what um, what their specialty is um, or if they are, tend to work with mm -hmm. um, issues of gender orientation. Right. Or yeah, so. yeah the, the only challenge with it is that they, they don't typically have the exclusionary criteria. So yeah. say we work with that, but it doesn't say we don't work with this. And so then you're left to wonder, well, if they didn't list it, does that mean that they don't work with it? Or if they, you know, so um, you know, even if it's not listed, it's good to call on just to make sure. So. And uh, if someone has a particular religious preference? Same thing, yeah, okay. absolutely, okay. yeah. Okay. So. Once a person uh, has decided to go to therapy, maybe they've narrowed it down to a therapist, mm -hmm. um, how do they prepare for their first session? I, I think that the, the main thing to, to focus on in preparation for that first session is decreasing stress about that first session. <laughs> you know, the first session is pretty anxiety invoking for, uh, truly um, from, from my side, both from the um, patient's perspective, but also from the, the therapist or provider's perspective. I mean, you know, when I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I'm wanting to make sure that I um, I, I connect with that person, that I, you know, um, meet that person where that person needs to be met. And, and so, you know, there's a little bit of stress involved with that. And so, um, you know, relieving some of that stress with, with some, um, you know, good breathing and, and some of those kinds of things is really important. Certainly, if you're dealing with stress, and, and that's one of your main reasons to be coming for therapy, that's going to be a difficult thing to do. But, you know, do the best that you can. Um, sometimes therapists will ask you to uh, fill out paperwork and stuff like that ahead of time, some background or demographic information, so you want to look at any of those kinds of things. Any of that kind of stuff that you can get done ahead of time just to avoid the, the uh, commotion of trying to fill it out in the waiting mm -hmm. room, uh, that's all, you know, great things to do just to you know, kind of keep it calm and, and all when you make that first visit. But and a lot of providers have that online now. Yes, yes. Um, so you can fill them out. Uh, oftentimes you can fill them out online so you don't even have to print it out or anything like that. It's just go straight to them. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I know that every provider is going to be different, right. but can you give us sort of a broad idea of what a typical session would look like? Sure. Um, initial sessions are usually different than follow-up sessions. Initial sessions is a lot of background information, and you know what brings you here today, those kinds of things. Um, but follow-up sessions tend to be uh, pretty focused on whatever the, the treatment goal is. Um, I know that I work from a perspective where um, you know I recognize that patients come in on any particular for any particular session with perhaps issues that came up within the last couple of days. And so <laughs> we work to focus on those issues and make sure that you know everything is, is okay there so that they can hopefully uh, maintain until the next time we can get together. And, and all the while working on building skills so that they can, you know, the next time those kinds of issues arise, they're able to better manage them so they're not as stressful. Um, sessions usually last about 
50, 55 minutes. Uh, that, that gives us time uh, to, to then, you know, write our notes and, um, you know, take care of any other uh, administrative or sort of paperwork business before uh, the next session at the next hour. Sessions are usually um, less than an hour just because, um, well, our lives are often dictated by those who pay for our services, which is insurance <laughs> companies. And so insurance companies really don't um, uh, cover any services that, that extend beyond about 53 minutes, actually. So, oh. um, you know, it, well, it, uh, let me correct that. They, they cover it. It's just that 53 minutes is the maximum um, reimbursement that they offer. So you could, you could meet with somebody for four hours but you still only get uh, reimbursed for the 53 minutes that you spent with them. So um, that's why sessions are typically about an hour. Okay. I, I just thought of something while you were talking. I know a lot of people tend to put off the idea of going to therapy because they think it won't fit into their schedule. Mm -hmm. So can you speak to that a little bit? That is a, that is a, a major challenge because you know, most offices are open during business hours, and so most people you know, are working during business hours. And so that, that creates a, a challenge. I know one thing that we do here is we shift, it, shift our schedules up a little bit so that we are often here providing um, and, and available for appointments like during most people's lunch hours. And so you know, a lot of people can squeeze by during lunch and then get back to work without really having to take any other time off. And we also see patients a little bit later in the afternoon usually by the time they're getting off of work. Um, some providers will see, will have evening patients. We have a provider here in our office who sees patients up until about seven o'clock or, or so. Um, and we're often here um, on the weekend seeing, seeing patients, you know, for those who, who just can't make it during the week and um, just need to get in. We, we oftentimes will come in on the weekend to see patients. Not all people will do that, um, so. Um, so that would be a good thing to look for when you're yeah. when you're searching for a therapist. Absolutely, absolutely. And and that shouldn't be an impediment to getting therapy because right. there are options. Right, right. There are options. Um, they they may be relatively limited, but there are options. So. Okay. Uh, are do you assign homework? Sometimes, you? sometimes I um it kind of depends on what the person is experiencing. Um, th there's a few homework assignment types of things that I like to do. Um, I, I really like the real self versus ideal self um, as sort of an initial um, uh, assignment, if you will, to uh, help people really explore who they are and explore what they, you know, what they want out of their life and where they're headed. Um, but there's other times, you know, especially when individuals are dealing with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, for example, mm -hmm. or give some very specific things for them to try as sort of exposure opportunities to help them work through some of that anxiety and stress um, and practice it and then they can bring it back. Um, when kids are experiencing like explosive outbursts and rages and things like that, um, I have some homework that they'll do to um, sort of monitor and, and evaluate some of those experiences so that we can talk about it the next time they come in. So little things like that. I don't, I don't like to give lots of homework. Um, so. Well, and there again, every provider will be different. Everyone will be different, yeah. So, and then what about reading? Do you ever suggest books? Sometimes. Um, there, there, are, there are some really good books out there um, that I like, depending on what's going on again with the person. Um, I, I have a, a, little, a small library, especially for, for parents of, of kids who are 
challenges um, or have some challenging behaviors. Um, but and, and there's some good books for a, adults dealing with other issues as mm -hmm. well. Uh, so so yeah, there's there's some readings that people will do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you set up counseling goals, and and what what are they like? What kind of counseling goals? Um, I try typically to to create therapeutic goals with the with the person that I'm working with with the patient because I, I believe that it's important for the person that I'm working with to be committed to those to the whatever the treatment goal is so um, so we oftentimes will work on those together um, there are certainly times when when we can't do that like we're when working with kids yeah. um, teenagers don't necessarily want to work on anything so <laughs> <laughs> so we don't necessarily get to do that video games they want to work they, on video games they do like to work on video <laughs> games if only we could figure out how to do that um, but uh, so so treatment goals are, are typically I, I like to make mine very specific so if a person is dealing with with anxiety the the very uh, basic uh, treatment goal will be the person will develop strategies to be able to better cope with their stress and anxiety. Um, now how we do that, how we set about doing that will be very individualized with the patient because it's really important for that person um, for that person to have a set of strategies and skills that are specific to them because you know that's one of the reasons why I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes with readings and books and stuff because Oftentimes, books are very specific to that author or to a particular mm -hmm. population, mm -hmm. and what we see, you know, um, Walking on Eggshells is a, is, a, is a book about borderline personality disorder. Well, um, that's great for some people with borderline personality disorder, but it doesn't fit everyone with borderline personality disorder. And so when you just kind of, if, you, if you're not careful, you throw certain things out there and it starts to... Um, treat everyone as though they're the same and you know we're all individuals so yes we are yeah. and while you were talking I noticed I said counseling goals you said treatment goals mm -hmm. and I I think that that sounds a lot better because you go to the doctor for treatment mm -hmm. and so it takes away I know a lot of people feel like there might be a stigma attached right. to, to counseling yeah it's true, and, and I think of it as, you know, a lot of times, uh, again, what we do here, and I think that you'll find that a lot of therapists and, and counselors do this, is I, I try to use a vocabulary that best fits the people that I'm working with. So when mm -hmm. I'm working with teenagers, oftentimes I'll talk about coaching, or I'll talk about, um, you know, being a, a partner or a, a support or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes uh, adults may need somebody that says, I'm your, you know, I'm a therapist, you know, that's my role, and, and they want that kind of vocabulary. So, yeah, I, I think that vocabulary is pretty important sometimes. Yeah, so this is very uh, person-centered. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, we, we work from a very person-centered, um, sort of humanistic type of perspective. Um, uh, I, I think it's really important to create connections with the people that I'm working with, and so, you know, we can, we can talk very openly and very honestly and very... Um, uh, personally, uh, in, in such a way that we can create a connection, and, and I think that that is what tends to help people find success a little bit better uh, through therapy. That's good. So when you um, are seeing a client, how, how long do you expect to see them? How often do you expect to see them? Um, that will vary depending on the, the circumstance. Uh, I, I've had uh, I, I've had a couple of circumstances in the past where I saw I, I saw a person once, and 
you know, they changed and everything was great. And oh. it, was, it was, it was, one in particular that jumps in my mind was a teenage boy. And I saw him once and we, we talked about a few things. And like a couple of weeks later, his dad called. He goes, I don't know what you guys talked about, <laughs> but it's all good. And we don't, you know, everything is going great. We don't need to come back or anything. And so, um, and I saw them again a couple of years later and he said, everything's still good. So that's great. Um, other, others, you know, you see them over a long period of time and, and, and um, longer therapy tends to be for more chronic, um, more uh, like personality things or sort of chronic anxiety and chronic depressive types of things. And so those tend to be situations where I see patients for longer periods of time. Um, so it, it will vary. Okay. And if somebody has been seeking treatment for a while and they feel like they've gotten to a place where um, where they're comfortable um, with whatever they were dealing with, do you ever have patients that come back for like a tune-up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, I, I've certainly had patients who um, we seem to, to meet those treatment goals and they tend to feel good about where they are um, in life and where they are with their with themselves and they'll go and uh, certainly uh, you know a year later they'll come back and hey what's going on it's Stick been a little in. while like, oh, we just wanted to get a little tune up a little booster shot and see how things are going so uh, yeah that does happen it's good to know that 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 that's available. Oh yeah. yeah. Now we talked about insurance a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and since we're talking about how long uh, mm-hmm. treatment might last, can insurance stop you? Yes. Yeah. There, there are some insurance. I will not pretend to be an expert in business-related <laughs> insurance, business-related stuff. That stuff just boggles my mind. I will say that there are certain plans um, that limit the number of sessions that you can have per year. Uh, there are others that you, you can go every day if you want to. I don't know what makes them different. Um, there are certain um, things like EAPs, which is an employee assistance programs mm-hmm. and things like that, where you get you know seven free sessions and then your insurance, you, you'll have an insurance coverage thereafter. So there's a, there's a variety of ways that that would happen, but yes, unfortunately, um, insurance companies dictate a lot of that. Uh, they may restrict treatment based upon the diagnosis. Um, they may restrict treatment based upon the person's age or what else is going on. Um, they may even restrict the type of therapy that you can offer, um, which is um, very challenging. So it's challenging. Yeah. Um, I for just a, as a quick example, I have a I have patients who are little ones, um, little kids, and you know you, you'll. You can do play therapy and some of those kinds of things with with, with wee little ones, but um, a lot of what I do would be working with the parents. Well, um, most many insurance companies do not cover family therapy, so unless the, the the child is the patient, and so I'm supposed to meet individually with the child, that's what the insurance cover uh, insurance covers. So I can't meet with the parent, um, or I can't meet individually with the parent and and gain any reimbursement for that treatment. So. It's extremely frustrating. Would uh, that apply to marriage counseling as well? It could apply to marriage counseling as well. So it's um, really important for people to check what their insurance covers. Yeah, check what your insurance covers because what will tend to happen then is that if, if your insurance just doesn't cover it, then it's all out of pocket. And then it, um, it, it uh, unfortunately, it can get pricey. You know, if you're talking about 
you're talking about therapy once a week and you're talking about um, you know, $75 to $100 a session, um, and you have to take some time off work to get there, and you're talking about couples therapy, so you're both taking times off work, now you're losing, you know, you're talking about a, a high cost for that treatment, and it, it, does, it does make it more challenging. But for individual therapy, people should definitely check into yeah. their employer assistance program. Yeah, definitely. Because that, that's a great service yeah, yeah, that absolutely. a lot of employers provide. Yep, definitely. Okay. And, uh, you know, when people think about therapy and counseling, um, you know, we get that idea of Freud and oh, yeah. digging back into the childhood and, yeah. you know, how your parents might have messed you up. <laughs> so, so when you're, um, and again, every provider will be different, right. but when you're doing a session, how much do you rely on somebody's past mm -hmm. uh, for their treatment, or do you try to focus on the present? Um, to me, it, it, I feel like I'm gonna say it depends a lot. Um, <laughs> it, it depends on the person's individual needs. Uh, there are certainly, absolutely times where we have to focus on the past and we have to focus on experiences from childhood because that is what built the building that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, there are certainly times when, you know, despite the past, you know, we have walls falling down, we need to deal with what's happening right now. And so um, I, I think that I try, I try, and I think a lot of providers will try to be very uh, adapted to whatever's happening um, with the patient at the, at the particular time that we're providing the treatment. So um, that said, um, I am, I know I'm very interested in history and want to know, you know, sort of how we got where we are. And so I, I do ask a lot about history, um, at least initially. Okay. Well, let's get specific to you because I have you here. All right. So what kind of treatments, and well, I suppose you can speak to the entire office. Mm -hmm. What kind of treatments do you at PAC Florida provide? Um, we work to provide a, a, a pretty broad uh, spectrum of, of services. So. Um, we, we have individuals who do a bit of play therapy. I mentioned that a moment mm -hmm. ago, and that's usually mm -hmm. for, for little ones um, to help. Um, it's, it's sort of from the psychodynamic, you mentioned Freud, it's sort <laughs> of from that school of thought uh, of sorts, and, and so we, we have that. Uh, we do um, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, so looking at how our thoughts and behaviors relate and see if we can change our thoughts to change our behaviors. And, mm -hmm. um, um, I mentioned a moment ago that I do a lot from more of a, a humanistic, person-centered uh, approach because I think that, uh, you know, uh, Carl Rogers and some mm -hmm. of those fellows were pretty, uh, pretty insightful, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and some of those things. Yes. We've talked about them on the podcast before. So um, we also have uh, folks here that do... Um, really specific to uh, substance abuse treatment. So looking really specifically at issues associated with substance abuse, um, a lot of family therapy, a lot of um, parent um, parenting uh, training and, and those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, we cover a pretty broad spectrum of things here. That's good. Yeah. The only thing we probably don't have is somebody who's like classical uh, psychodynamic. Um, we, we don't have anyone here, but it's, it's kind of difficult to find people who are purely psychodynamic. Can, can you explain that? Psychodynamic? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the Freud um, uh, approach uh, of sorts. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it deals with a lot of free association, and so it's, you know, sitting there and not providing too many cues or triggers or anything for the, for the patient, but a allowing them to sort of just talk about whatever comes to their mind and, and listening, you know, maybe 
maybe setting a, um, a particular cue and say, you know, tell me about something, tell me about your mother, mm -hmm. and then they'll kind of, as the patient talks, you, we kind of will work to look for or explore different themes or different um, patterns in their, in their responses um, to, to see if there's something um, in there, some conflicts in there that need to be resolved. So. So if someone wanted that type of treatment, they would look for a psychoanalyst. A psychoanalyst, yeah. Okay. In, in a lot of b bigger cities especially, mm -hmm. you, you'll find those. Yeah. So. Um, and you've had some people trained in that on other podcasts. You've interviewed mm -hmm. yes. people yes. who are trained in that. Yeah. So um, how do you know when treatment is working? How would the client know, the patient know, when treatment is working? And what do you do when it's not working? Those are, again, very good questions. Um, the, you can tell when it's working because you start seeing, obviously you start seeing improvement. You start seeing the person to be better capable of managing uh, stress. So often to me it just comes down to stress. Yeah. You know, it, when a person I is depressed, um, you know that they're depressed because when, they're, when they encounter a stressor, they respond in a depressive state. So um, when a person is uh, getting better, you can see that they are b handling some of those stressors uh, better. And the patient, him or herself, may or may not notice that. Um, I certainly have patients who pick it up right away and say, oh, you know what, I didn't make my bed this morning, so <laughs> I know that I'm, I'm, my OCD is getting better. Um, I, I think the 16-year-old kid that I used to work with, and he was very proud to come in one day and say that he didn't make his bed. Um, because of the way that his OCD worked. So, But the opposite is true, too, because you've said on the podcast before that every day you make your bed. That is true. That is true. Um, that's what we typically want, um, but we don't want it to be... The way that his obsessions mm -hmm. worked was that making his bed consisted of three hours of cleaning his entire room and doing oh. all those kind of things. So, um, so him not making his bed was actually a... A positive gain in, in treatment. And for somebody else who's maybe having some depressive issues, making the bed could be the major accomplishment of the day. Absolutely, absolutely. So you can, and again, the importance is to adjust and adapt to whatever the needs are that the patients are. Um, there are times when therapy doesn't work. Um, there are a number of reasons why that could be. It could be because of the provider. It could be because of the patient. It could be because of the interaction between the provider and the patient. So there's lots of reasons why. Um, I've certainly had um, experiences where you know treatment was not very effective uh, with a particular patient. And the way that I handle that, which I think is, um, obviously I do it, so I think that it's appropriate. <laughs> there may be some other ways to do it. Um, is I will sit down and talk with the patient and I'll say, hey, look, you know, we've been at this for a little while and it, it doesn't sound like you're getting much better and you know you deserve a um, you deserve someone who's going to help you get better and to meet your goals and to help you feel better um, I'm happy to continue working at this I'll keep reading and I'll keep trying to learn new strategies that, that to share with you um, but because we haven't been effective I'm happy to refer you to someone else that may be more in, in line with what what your needs are um, maybe more so more better or better <laughs> I don't say that in, in session but maybe more in line with what you need and, and I can give you some referrals for that so I'm so glad that you mentioned that you wouldn't just turn them away that if right. they wanted to stick with you that you would rem you know you would yeah. remain part of their their treatment I try to you know the, the interesting thing with with therapy and, and one of the first psychologists that I worked with 
you know, he, he said this because my training was with kids and, mm -hmm. and then uh, I, I was trying to expand to work with adults as well. And he said, and he, he told me, he goes, hey, working with adults is just like working with kids, except sometimes they just want to come in and talk. <laughs> and, and so I've always held on to that because it's true. Sometimes, sometimes it just feels better to go in and talk. You don't really need to make um, big changes in your life. It's just good to have some place to go and kind of unload and um, let, let go of some things and leave and come back a couple of weeks later and do it again. Yeah, you know, it reminds me. I'm a big fan of this podcast, and it reminds me of one of the podcasts that you did um, when there's uh, stress or trauma, and mm. you talk about dumping out right. rather than dumping in yes. to the situation, and therapy is a great place to dump right. out yeah. so you can... Uh, get some of that energy yeah. out of your system so it doesn't cause you stress mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't affect the, the situation that you're in. Yeah, I, I, there, I have some patients that we refer to my office as the dump. <laughs> I, I encourage them not to say that outside of the office because I don't want anybody to think that, but yeah, that's the way we think about it sometimes. So um, what would you consider treatment success? Um, I would consider treatment success uh, in one of two ways. Either the, the patient says that they don't need me anymore. Um, is that a good feeling? It, it is a good feeling because it, it, it means, and it doesn't really have anything to do with me. Um, it, to me, it has to do with they are where they need to be or where they want to be, and that, that makes me um, very happy for them. So, um, so if they don't need me anymore, then, then that's great. Um, I also measure um, success when you know, when I'm working with them and those issues that they, that brought them to see me are, are now better managed. You know, they're, they're, they're dealing with those things. So even if they want to keep coming and talking and dumping and unloading, <laughs> um, we can, uh, we can see that those improvements are happening and they're doing better, so. Okay, so we've talked about what a therapy session would be like. Um, <clears throat> when, but let's get into the nitty gritty. Like, how do you go about finding? Like, should we get on the internet? Should mm -hmm. we ask our friends? Mm -hmm. Should we check our insurance company? What 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 should we do? What should we do? Yes, all, all of those. All of those. All of those. Um, it, it's really good to talk to talk to friends. It's important to. It's really good to talk to other people who have had experiences to to see who they. You know who, who they've seen that they may recommend or not recommend um, because there, <laughs> yes, again there's, mis there's mismatches are, are certainly out there um, I would certainly say you know check with your insurance company because you know man it, it really stinks when you when you talk to a bunch of people and you find somebody oh I really want to go see this <laughs> yeah. person and then you go you know contact them and they're, they're not on your insurance and it's just too expensive or too too difficult to get in to see them um, so you te definitely check with your insurance company and there are lots of resources online. Um, you know, we pull a lot of articles from Psychology Today, but mm -hmm. Psychology Today has, you know, their website has a great uh, referral uh, program for, um, you know, you can look up psychologists or therapists in your area and, uh, you know, you just put in your zip code or whatever and it will give you a long list of all the providers um, in that area that, that have registered with them. And it's usually a pretty good list and you can see their bio and you know, information about what they specialize in and things like that, so. Are there reviews? There, there are some reviews, um, like we're, we're on health grades, for example, and, and so there's lots of ways that you can um, see that. Most, 
practices now have um, Facebook pages and stuff like that, mm. so you can see reviews and things like that there. Yeah, lots okay. of ways to see. Social media is great sometimes. 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 <laughs> so when someone is thinking about seeking treatment, I know that they might be concerned um, that they would have to share with their employer what's mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. with them, or um, if they're in school, talk to their mm -hmm. school. Is that something that people should feel like they need to share? No. Um, you know, any, any of our treatment, of course, is, is protected under HIPAA. Okay. So, um, you know, if you're if you come to for treatment and um, you're married, um, we can't talk to your spouse, you know, so much less talk to your employer or anybody like that. Now, you know, certainly there's going to be issues related to um, how we file your, your treatment. So again, insurance. So your insurance company is going to have a record that you've been here and then, you know, whether or not that can get to your employer, I'm not really completely sure. But um, as far as you having to disclose any of that, you know, no, um, that that's all protected under HIPAA, and they, you can't be required to to release um, that kind of information. So people shouldn't feel like it's going to prevent them from having future employers hire them. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That should not be a that should not be a concern. That's great. Yeah. So uh, let's get personal. Okay. Have you ever been in therapy? I, I have not been in formal therapy myself. Okay. Um, you know, Dr. Marshall and I are, are, are very close. We've, we've known each other for, it's been now about 17 years. And so he and I spend a lot of time in each other's office um, offices talking about things. And so that's sort of our um, informal uh, therapy. I think I've we, heard you guys say, well, I think I've heard you say, we'll talk about that in a session. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we talk about all kinds of things and um, that we're dealing with and that we're going through because, of course, we go through things just like everyone else. So, mm -hmm. um, it, some disciplines of of therapists, uh, like we've talked about psychoanalysts yeah. earlier. Um, part of being a psychoanalyst is that you're undergoing analysis, and so you have and to be in therapy. That's a lengthy process, isn't it? It is a lifelong process. Yes. Wow. So um, the expectation is that psychoanalysts are receiving psychoanalytic treatment. Um, throughout throughout their lives, so uh, so yeah, that's common. So you talked about Dr. Marshall, and mm -hmm. he is one of your peers. Mm -hmm. um, how often do you find yourself going to peers in the field to do consultations? Um, again, um, I can speak to us here in our office. Um, one of the things, well, when I was looking to leave the, the previous practice that I was in. Um, one of the things I did not want to do was to, to be in a practice by myself because I worked at the university for a long time and I worked in a larger sort of a medium-sized practice with you know four or five other providers and one of the things I did not want to do is to go off by myself and not have anyone to talk to you um, so uh, so we have built a, a nice um, group here so what we, we meet all the time we, we meet almost every day at lunch and you know, anytime anyone has an issue um, that they're trying to work through, trying to figure out how to best uh, treat a patient or, or, or provide a service to someone, uh, we will all sit and talk and, and, and we do that very often um, here in our office. Um, other mm. offices may work differently, but, but that's what we do here. So we, we have almost constant peer consultation here in the office. That's great. Yeah. It's nice to have a yeah. 
a group of people to support you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody knows everything. So, right. you know, uh, we need to pull from each other's expertise and so that we can provide the best services to those that we're trying to help. Well, I think I only have one more question okay. for you. And um, I meant to ask it a lot earlier. Okay. Uh, you see people here in the office, but you also see people in another way. Mm-hmm. Yes, online. Online. Yes, um, there, there are there are a number of uh, online providers that are emerging now. Of course, um, there's a little bit of um, a challenge to it because once again, insurance all insurance companies don't cover that right. service, so you can't always get mental health service online um, in a way that's covered by insurance. Some insurance companies are better with it; others are not. Um, no names. <laughs> um, but uh, but that is changing and that's going to continue to change because just there's just no way that it can't. I mean, it, that's where the field is going. Um, it, it's, it's very challenging, especially in larger areas, for people to get to a, a treatment provider. And so a lot of adjustment and a lot of shifting is moving towards online treatment. Um, we do that here some. Um, we have to make sure that we uh, do so through HIPAA compliant provider, uh, media uh, mediums 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 um, so we use one like you can't use FaceTime or Skype and those kinds of things because they're not HIPAA compliant oh, that's interesting. Um, so we have to use um, we have to use some other services to be able to do that um, but it's, it's a nice service I, I like doing it um, you know you, you have to deal with the technological um, hiccups every once in a while but mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, it's a nice service for people who can't get to you um, the only other issue is uh, licensure issues so like I'm licensed in the state of Florida so if I'm seeing someone here and they move to Georgia um, now the question is where is the service being provided I'm in Florida the patients in Georgia where is the service being provided and am I licensed in the area that this service is being provided and, and that's a, a bit of a um, controversy I suppose um, the, the, the only recommendation now is to be licensed in both places uh, which introduces other challenges but there is another podcast um, I can't remember the name of it now that I listen to every once in a while that's the whole focus is talking about um, online therapeutic services and how other pe- how different people are doing it and oh. yeah so it's interesting yeah that is really interesting so um, you are su- I'm going to assume that you're supportive of these sort of alternative services for mm-hmm. people who can't make it into a physical office. Absolutely. I, I, our goal here, and certainly my goal personally, is to, to try to help as many people as possible. And whether you can get here or not, you know, let's figure out how to, how to get you the services that you need so that you can you know, hopefully live the life that you hope to live. So. You know what? I, I didn't tell the truth when I said I only had one more question. Oh, that's okay. Okay. All right. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people don't seek treatment because they're worried about the stigma. And I know you guys have talked in previous podcasts, particularly about men being mm-hmm. uncomfortable right. coming to therapy. What, what would you say to people to encourage them? Um, I would say that we live in. I'm going to get like uh, philosophical here for just a second. <laughs> I feel like I need a. a pipe or something. Um, <laughs> a bubble pipe, not a... It would be a bubble pipe. <laughs> I almost said bubble pipe. Um, we, li- we live in a, in, a, in a world, in a society that is very stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite your, um, your, your, your 
personal strength, your um, your lifestyle, or your history. Despite all of that, stress is going How to affect. How great your parents were. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> despite any of that stuff, stress is going to affect you, and um, because stress is going to affect you, because stress is a biological process mm-hmm. that's going to affect you, it's going to potentially have an impact on your mental and emotional health, and so. No, no one is immune to that. And so, um, you know, as I said earlier, whether you want to think of it as therapy or you want to think of it as coaching or you want to think of it as support or you want to think of it as a dump, you know, going to see someone is, isn't a sign of, of weakness or a sign of an inability to manage and, um, you know, cope with your life. Getting help is a sign of tremendous insight that means that you recognize that you're having a challenge and that you're, you're struggling with something and that you're going to fix that problem so that you can live the happy, healthy life that you want to live. So It's like going to the dentist if you have a toothache. Absolutely. I don't like to go to the dentist, but I go. Yeah. We don't hurt you. Like We don't use drills. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't worry about that here. So. Well, I think that this I think that this is a good podcast for people who are curious about therapy and have questions and maybe they were afraid to ask or didn't know where mm-hmm. to go to ask. Yeah. So. Well, I really appreciate the questions and I appreciate you sitting in for my uh, my, my partner. Did you notice uh, I uh, tried to dress like him I today? did notice <laughs> that, uh, where the, the white button up and with the, with the top button undone. Absolutely. Like all you needed was a tie that wasn't quite pushed Oh, but he yet. hasn't been wearing his ties lately, has he's, he? He's off and on. He's fickle with it. Oh, okay. He's back and forth. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is it for today. We hope that if you um, enjoyed this or if you had any particular question that you would like um, to, for us to go any, in any further depth or anything, please write to us. Let us know. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to uh, do what we can to answer those questions. So, I right. write. I write in the podcast notes sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I do. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. We, we get more probably in YouTube than anywhere else. A lot of people write into YouTube, so we, we, we really dig that. So thank you so much for doing that. So, all right. That's it then for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.